Before we uh, dive into the sermon for this morning, um, if you will, I thought I'd get farther. Um, it's been a hard week here for our church family. Um, it's been a celebratory week too. We got a number of our kids graduating on uh, Friday night. I was at uh, Geneva's uh, baccalaureate service where my niece uh, was able to offer the closing portion uh, speech of that and celebrate that with, with her and with our other students that are graduating and thankful for that, proud of them for the work that they have put in. Um, she was talking about um, being people who courageously love because we have been courageously loved. And it's also been um, a season of, of grief and mourning as a church family. Um, on, Wall, on Monday, I got the news that Wally Stefano, who, um, if you know Wally and Marcia, they, they started coming during COVID. Uh, in September, um, after a surgery, Marcia unexpectedly passed away. Um, Wally died, uh, he served in Vietnam, and on Memorial Day weekend, uh, he went home um, uh, at the Battle of Cancer as a result of Agent Orange and celebrated his life on Friday afternoon. On Tuesday um, afternoon, we received the word that Emily White and uh, the White family attends here at the Mill Creek campus. Um, 42 years old, mother of five, was hit by a car on her bike crossing Route 31. Um, David texted me, her husband, Friday afternoon that um, the doctors had declared, pronounced her dead on, on Friday. And so there's this family and five kids, their oldest of which graduated from Batavia on uh, Wednesday. Um, and, and so you've got all of that going on came in on Wednesday morning, um, one of our beloved staff um, at Chapel Street, Alan Cavender, he's on our facilities team, uh, died in his sleep of an apparent heart attack. On, uh, so when they woke up, um, she, his wife, Laura, found Alan uh, did not wake up. And, and so just as a church family, there's, we're grieving and, and processing that. Rich, I just heard this morning of, of your dad's passing, I'm so sorry brother but praying for your family so we're we're in this season of of some really challenging and, and difficult times we've seen some amazing things i've been in constant communication with david and um i mean god has shown up in the most tragic circumstances but in some incredible ways and we give praise for that and scripture reminds us that we rejoice uh with those who are rejoicing and we mourn with those who mourning and and as a church family, we're, we're doing both of those things simultaneously today, and, and we'll continue to do so. I want to just speak a word, if I can, to us that our commitment is to continue to walk with these families um, through, through the grief, to be a part of, of their journey. And so whether or not you know them personally, some of you are coming in and you're hearing this for the first time and you have no idea what I'm, I'm, I'm talking about. And I understand that you might be coming in with a graduating student who's just in a place of celebration. And, um, and, I, and I get all of that. Um, but we want to continue to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn and to do that well and to courageously love um, each other. I have no idea how this sermon is going to go this morning. So just <laughs> brace yourselves for that. Uh, that's all right. Okay, thank you. 
Can we, would you pray with me? And we'll, uh, we'll give this our best effort. Father, we do just recognize and acknowledge that there is um, much to celebrate. As we have seen um, you work in the lives of, of students, there's families who are, who are even today, their grad parties and all that, we want to rejoice with them. We want to celebrate with them. Uh, simultaneous to that, Lord, it has been a tremendous season of loss. And God, we're just, our hearts are grieving. And we're not even sure how to process all of it. And, and the questions of why run through our heads, and that's even more pronounced for, for these families. And so we're just, Holy Spirit, we're just seeking you. We're asking you to be in our midst today. We're asking that you would, by your tender care, Lord, um, speak peace, a peace that surpasses understanding and comfort. Speak it over these families. Jesus, I ask that in your name. Lord, mobilize your church to walk with, to be with. Lord, we're reminded that sometimes the greatest um, provision is, is not the words that we say, but it's the presence that we give. So even if it's just sitting silent with somebody, Lord, um, help us to show up when we need to show up. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen. I'm going to make a hard left turn here. Um, nope. There we go. That's all right. Uh, I, just two weeks ago, prior to this, um, I had the opportunity with a group of other pastors from our, the Converge denomination, our denomination, to go out to Montana, and the, the vision of this ministry is to create a, a place for pastors to rest and to be refreshed and to can stay in the game. Like, that's their whole vision. It's like they want to they try to care for other pastors. And so I was out there with a group of other pastors, some from our church and, and some from other churches here kind of in the Midwest primarily. And, um, and one of the things they do is they give you the opportunity to go fly fishing, which I had, had never done before, but it was just like, get out on the water, go, you know, um, and I, I really enjoy it. In fact, I got this picture that I think Pastor Joe took. Um, so this is the last day. There's a lake there, and we're in this, this canyon, and I'm, I'm fishing there. And what's Fascinating about this picture is if you were to just see this picture in isolation, right? If you were just to see, you might get the impression that I'm something of an outdoorsman, right? <laughs> or that I am a, a seasoned fisherman. In fact, I could actually put up a series of photos that, that were carefully chosen and cropped just so that would show me wearing the right gear, uh, even holding a fish that technically I caught, and, and pensively looking across the beautiful Montana landscape that would suggest that this is what I do, that this is who I am, right? However, none of that would be true, right? The reality is, is I am an embarrassment to the idea of fly fishing, right? It, it, none of the gear that, I, that you would see in those photos belongs to me. It's a, the ministry owns it and they let us use it while we're there. My guide spent the majority of the time on the river untangling my fly fishing line or tying new flies to my line because I got it caught in a shrub or a rock 
or the other guy in the boat with me, and I'm not exaggerating here when I say this, or he was strategically trying to place my lure like right on top of a fish and then hand it to me so that I could go like this and be like, I caught a fish, you know, like it was, that was the kind of fly fishing that, that I was doing. That would be the truth of the experience, but I could present to you an image, an idea of who I am, right? That would enable you to think something else. Just this week, I, I heard about um, people who will dress up as either military personnel or first responders, wear the gear of like a Navy SEAL and, and go into a bar and tell stories and that sort of thing and get people to buy them drinks, even though they've done none of those things. They're called valor stealers. Like this whole idea of this image I can present. And culturally, and this isn't new to us, we didn't invent this, but there is a worldview, an idea that says that behavior produces identity. Behavior produces identity. And then when we add on top of that the impact of, of social media, we've given that kind of cultural worldview, this, this bullhorn that, that we can present. But Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, he, he wants to, he's going to basically flip that narrative on its head. He wants followers of Jesus to understand that ultimately it is your identity, it's your identity in Christ that produces behavior, right? It is your identity in Christ that informs and produces your behavior. So if you were here last week, Paul describes those who, who, who we were prior to the transforming work of Jesus, so this, this pre-Jesus sterling that existed right he says in chapter 3 verse 3 that 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 identity has died it's died it's not weakened it's not reduced it's dead and now sterling in christ right has been hidden in christ in god so it's i did nothing to earn it but at the same time it changes everything now paul begins to describe what our our lives ought to look like when we when our lives are hidden with Jesus and God right and not surprisingly I think Paul's going to teach us that that it ought to look a lot like Jesus it ought to look a lot like Jesus if you have your Bibles let's turn to Colossians chapter 3 Colossians chapter 3 I'm going to read through the text that we're going to focus on and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this, this new life in Christ. This is what Paul writes. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ, to which you are called in one body, rule your hearts, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, 
in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Notice this section begins that the same way that the immediately uh, previous section began. When Paul's describing taking off the old self, look in verse 5, he says, therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. So now here in verse 12, he begins the same way. He says, therefore, now put on, put, put on the character of Christ. So both of these emanate, they find their source in the, the same motivational center. Their source in this, this reality, and as he says in verse 1 of chapter 3, you have been raised with Christ, so seek the things above. Right? This is where all of this finds its, its power, is, is what Christ has done in us. And now Paul begins to describe for us what it means, this life that we have, this new life, because we are in Christ. And he starts... Um, not surprisingly for Paul, by establishing it in a new identity. It begins with a new identity. Look how he starts here in, in verse 12. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. Paul is, is he seems to be particularly passionate about the follower of Jesus in Colossae, and in Kane County, understanding who they are in Christ. Because that's what we just talked about. That same principle applies. Paul's going to make this point. We'll see this shortly. We live out of identity. We live from identity. I've had a, a number of friends, and maybe some of you have done this. Like they, They've grown up hearing the stories of their heritage, right? Like, okay, like we're this, this hardcore Irish family. That's our background. That's our upbringing. We, we eat uh, corned beef and cabbage on St. Patrick's Day. And, and then they'll take one of those like 23andMe DNA tests, right? So they've heard this story their whole life and it comes back and it's like, you're 93% Greek or whatever, you know? And they're like, what? Like, it's this kind of this, this unnerving sense. And now all of a sudden they're like, eating euros and, and change like this whole kind of different persona. There's this exchange of identities, who they thought they were, the story that they heard and who, they, who this test tells them that they are don't line up. And we live from identity. This is what Paul says needs to happen in the life of the follower of Jesus. And look how, look how Paul deconstructs our former identity. Go back up just a few verses in chapter 3. Verse 9, he says, Don't lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices, and you've put on the new self. You're being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of your Creator. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. So these, these qualifiers, this understanding that we have of our identity, he says, that's not it. That's not who you are. Christ is all and in all. All these other things are, are secondary. They have been surpassed and replaced because of who you are in Christ. And then throughout this letter, he's been rooting us in this understanding. Turn back just a couple pages to chapter one. 
we studied this in the week one of, of our Colossians series. Remember this, this whole portion here is like one massive run-on sentence from Paul. So I'm, I'm jumping into the middle of his thought, but verse uh, 11 now here, he says this. No, verse 12. He says, giving thanks to the Father who's enabled you. The ESV translates that as qualified you. Uh, enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued you from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves in him we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin so you you are enabled qualified you are uh, rescued and you are transferred now flip over to verse 22 of chapter one he says but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy and faultless and blameless before him like, if that weren't enough, now in chapter 3, he starts this, this vision of, of the life in Christ, and he says, you are chosen ones. You're holy and you're dearly loved. How often is that the identity that you start your day with? Right, this description that Paul uses here in chapter 3, it echoes back to covenant language. That, that God uses of Israel when he describes them as his people. In fact, you, you can flip back to Deuteronomy chapter 7. He says this in verse 6 when he's describing Israel. He says, you are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be his own possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. He's, he's borrowing from this covenant language and he's applying it to the follower of Jesus living in Colossae thousands of years later. And this is the entire thrust of, of Paul's argument here. Essentially, he's saying when you are in Christ, that which is true of Christ is also true of you. This is from Tim Keller in his commentary, and I don't have this on the screen today, but this is what he writes. He says, Christians are God's chosen people holy and dearly loved. God has assured them in Christ that their membership in his people, their being set apart for his service, which is the underlying meaning of holy, depends not on their goodness, but on his grace. Not on their lovableness, but on his love. He says these titles are not only used of Israel in the Old Testament, but also of Jesus Christ in the New. He is the chosen one, 1 Peter chapter 2. The Holy One, John chapter 6, the supremely beloved by the Father One, Matthew chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 1. It is in Him that Christians find their identity as God's people. Verses 12 through 17 contain echoes of the earlier Christological sections of the letter, applying here to those who belong to Christ, what is there said of him personally? That's, that's what I want you to hear. He's saying the things that have been said about Christ. Paul's now using that same language to describe who we are in Christ. That which is true of Christ is also true of you. Let that sink in for a moment. Pastor Danny Strange, last week, uh, he was uh, uh, our guest preacher and he was talking about this previous section and how we stay connected to the truth of, of the gospel. And if you remember, one of the takeaways that he gave us is to believe the realities of the gospel message are true for you today. And Paul continues to hammer this home. 
You are chosen, he said. Not, not based on some merit, not based on something that you bring to the table, but based on his grace. He says that you are holy, that you have been set apart for divine purposes and used for his ultimate kingdom purposes. And he says that you're dearly loved. 1 John chapter 4 says love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice. And so now Paul's going to begin to unpack what the new life in Christ looks like out of this new identity. And that's where he goes next. He, just, he defines, he describes this new life, a new life in Christ. Back in the text here. So he says, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another as anyone has a grievance against one another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ, to which you are called, as one, called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. This week, uh, when we gathered as, as a preaching team, um, where, you know, we spend time studying the text and, and sharing ideas and thoughts and observations and, hey, I read this or I heard this and we were doing that sort of thing. And sometimes one of the things we do is we'll try to like kick around different illustration ideas and we were talking about this section of the passage. I was like, oh, that reminds me of the movie uh, Mrs. Harris Went to Paris. And Jeff and Brian and they're like looking at me like we're not following. Like, Turns out I'm the only one who's seen Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. And uh, it, when you have um, three daughters and wife, you see movies like this sometimes. Uh, but if you've seen this movie, uh, it's actually a, a fairly compelling movie. And um, the storyline is this uh, um, woman who lives in London and she is a housemaid to various relatively wealthy families. And in one of these homes, she comes across this Christian Dior dress and she's just mesmerized by it. She's recently found out that her uh, husband who did not return from the war, they now have evidence that his plane had crashed and, and he is officially counted as deceased. And um, she gets this vision of, of buying this dress. So she starts to scrape and put everything together and all these circumstances. And she travels to Paris in order to go to the Christian Dior location and have him make a dress for her. And she finds out while she's there that that doesn't, you don't just buy these off the rack. They're handmade specifically for a person. So now she has to stay in Paris and she begins to build all these relationships. And it, when you're first sort of watching the movie, you feel kind of like I felt in Montana that, that this idea of this dress is pretending that, that she doesn't, she's gonna look like she's wealthy and, and she's not. 
But as the character develops in the movie, what you begin to discover as her acts of kindness and compassion and grace and, and all this start to unfold is that the dress is actually a reflection. The beauty of the gown is this reflection of the beauty of, of her character. It's actually like a, a, a perfect alignment with, with who she is. And see, this is Paul's point in and that the identity of Christ produces in us then the life of Christ. It's what we wear in essence. And he highlights three aspects of this life. First, most predominantly here, he begins to describe for us the character of Christ. The character of Christ is, is compassion, it's kindness, it's gentleness and humility and patience. There's a whole sermon here where we could really dive into what Paul is describing for us. It's forgiveness, and what he's talking about is like we, we, we put these things on. Paul's using this rather overtly when he talks about the character of Christ, when he speaks about forgiveness. He says, just as the Lord has forgiven you, right, you are also to forgive what you have received. Now replicate that. To the people around you. Paul, Paul pictures it as this exchange of clothing. We take off the old self and everything that defined it, right? That was what we studied last week. And we put on this new attire that is in alignment with what is true about Jesus. Things like compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. All that we have experienced that we know to be true of Christ. And then the question that we ask ourselves is, okay, what does it, what does it mean to put this on? What does it mean to put on the character of Christ? Well, as you might have guessed in Paul's mind, I think he starts by believing and living out of your true identity. We, that's what we just talked about. But secondly... I would suggest that it is an act of the will on the part of, of us to cooperate or to align ourselves with the work of the Holy Spirit, right? He is the one, to use Galatians terminology, that produces the fruit, but our part in that is to recognize the work that he's trying to do and to partner with him in that, to cooperate in that work. And the same is true here. It's, it's, a, it's an active participation. We are a part of it. He does the work, but we make ourselves pliable to be formed and shaped by him. That's the act of putting on. And all of it, he says, all of it is, is rooted in kind of this, this pinnacle. In verse 14, above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of everything. All of it, all these aspects. There's so much that we could go into here, but um side note for a second like the idea of humility as a positive character quality did there was no greek term that was used to describe humility positively prior to jesus like jesus made humility fashionable basically like that was the the first time that you begin to see it used in a way that is something that you would desire like this is what we are, are putting on and it's all grounded out of love because he is love, because that's who he is. Secondly, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This, 
Right? Peace does not mean the absence of conflict or pain. It is the security and confidence that results when we live in the knowledge that Christ has already won the ultimate victory. And it becomes one of the defining qualities of, of the early church, of this community of people who share this identity of being in Christ. And they begin to live peaceably, even the way that they would um, or we're supposed to deal with conflicts or difficulty in their community that this shared identity would create a peace among them that would drive that. So this vision of, of the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts, it's not only how we uh, interact with the world around us, but it's also how we interact with each other. It's how we relate outside of these walls, and it's how we relate inside of these walls. And the recognition and the acknowledgement that he has already won the ultimate uh, victory. And then he says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. Let, let the truth of the gospel and the kingdom that Jesus preached take up residence in this community. This life in Christ includes the collective effort of, of this body, but also the, the capital C church, Christians everywhere those who call themselves followers of Jesus, to point us to the truth of who Jesus is, to point us to the truth of who we are in him, and to point us to the work that he's doing in the world, whether it's in, in, in the world, in the preaching of his word, and the songs that we sing, and the community that we experience, the word of Christ dwells richly among us. We point each other to Jesus and to his kingdom. And in this way, the word of Christ dwells in and among us. So Paul then, he gives us this vision of the life that we have in Christ. And then essentially, at the conclusion of the section, he says, go live it. Go live it out. Make it, make it evident to those around you. And in doing so, it displays a new power. This is the third thing we see here. Verse 17 he says, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse 17 here is a particularly personal, meaningful one to me, because this in verse 23, which says something very similar, says, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord, not for people. These were sort of life verses of my dad. Like I, he had them posted at different places, and I heard him say it many, many times, kind of sort of sometimes like annoyingly so, right, when you're like, dad quotes a Bible verse to you kind of thing. Um, but I never really understood the significance of it until I was standing at, at his funeral service, and, and people from his work and relationships in the community, friendships that he had had for a year, and sometimes just acquaintance begin to share the stories of how they experienced him. And, and what I began to hear was, whether it was in the workplace or in, uh, as he was coaching a baseball team or whatever interaction it was within the confines of the church, is that I, I think what they were trying to tell me is that in all these Monday ordinary ways that he was trying to, he was trying to live out the power of verse 17 here. 
that it wasn't just some verse that he was quoting for his kids, but it really was something that he wanted to define his life. Right? Paul leaves us here, as, he's, as we wrap up this section, he leaves us with this mandate. Whatever it is that you do, in word or in deed, right, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. At one level, the, the all-encompassing nature of Paul's statement here is daunting right what does it mean to do everything in the name of the lord jesus what does that even look like i think so much of what paul wants us to understand is 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 he's describing a mindset an approach to our life right to do anything in someone's name means to represent them and to be empowered by that person like think about like a a show or something like that where somebody says stop in the name of the law, right? They're, they're giving a sense of who they represent and what has empowered them in that moment. See, the power of the life of Christ that is uh, done in the name of and by the power of who Jesus is, is a living witness to and ultimately a trans uh, invitation into the transformative work of Jesus. It is the evidence that we have died to the old self and that we have been clothed with Christ, clothed in the character of who he is. It's a living, breathing display of the work of God in us. It's, it's not me fly fishing in Montana. That's an act. It's the truth of the gospel lived out in a transformed life by Jesus. It's the power of a new life. And I'll wrap up with this. No, notice one last detail here. Three times in these verses, Paul referenced thankfulness or gratitude. And I think a lot of times when we think about like, how do we live this out? What does this look like? A lot of times it does feel daunting and overwhelming. And we get to the point of, of how can I do this? And we try to get motivated. We try to pump ourselves up. And oftentimes that source uh, that we go to for that is a sense of duty or obligation. Like, I gotta, I gotta do this. And in my experience, I gotta tell you that that more often than anything, when that is where I'm operating out of, produces in me self-righteousness. It's not great. It's not a good look. But rather, when I am grounded in what Jesus has done, like, the, the fact that, that he did it all, he paid it all, all to him I owe, when, when I understand that, and that produces in me a response of thankfulness and gratitude, that empowers a transformed life. When we understand what he has done for us, it's given to us as a free gift. That, that kind of thankfulness, that produces worship, and it produces obedience. And that's where Paul says, this is where the life in Christ is grounded. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for um, the opportunity to be together as a church family this morning. Um, to look at your word and to be reminded of why we're here and what we're doing. In the best moments and in the worst. And so Jesus, would you remind us again of our true identity in you? Would you close up, clothe us with the character of Christ? so that we might do everything in word or in deed in your name. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
What a perfect thing to declare together today. So the truth of who God is in our lives, I know it's a truth that the White family is, is holding to um, right now. Um, for those of you who are interested, Alan Cavender's service, there'll be a viewing at the Moss Funeral Home in Batavia on Tuesday evening, and then there'll be services at our South Street campus, I think Wednesday at 11, I want to say. Is that right? Yeah. Um, um, the White family is still putting together their service plan, so we'll communicate those uh, when we have them, make sure that that you all know, and just the commitment that we have uh, to all these families that we've mentioned today is we will walk with you. I'm gonna I'm in need you um, to, to do that with them. Um, it, it won't just be me or them, or it'll, it'll be all of us together. Uh, and, and I know that'll be important. So if we can pray with you this morning for anything, um, know that we're available to do that. Um, our prayer team's available. If you came prepared to give our generosity boxes, that Capia story is just one in our church family right now. That's really exciting. Um, can I just tell you, I'm, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful you're here. I'm thankful that you're a part of this, com this community. Now I receive this morning's benediction. Go in the name of Jesus Christ, who has been for us compassion and kindness and gentleness and forgiveness and he bonds it all together in love and we need you and help us to be you to the world around us and we ask these things in your name amen